if you will turn with me in your copy of God's Word to the book of Acts. of Acts, going to read the first 11 verses of the first chapter of Acts. Acts 1, 1 through 11, hear now the reading of God's word. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Pause another moment for prayer. Father in heaven, even as we read of the Holy Spirit's work and think about his coming at Pentecost after the ascension, we ask that he would come to us in power and enable us to rightly consider your ascension and to profit from it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, our calendars themselves call our attention to the incarnation of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and what we frequently call Christmas and Good Friday and Easter. But perhaps not so frequently considered is the ascension of Jesus Christ. And perhaps alongside the incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we should be those frequently considering the ascension of Jesus Christ. It is, after all, the reason why so many things about us are the way they are. 
Why don't we get to see Jesus face to face? When you have a difficult theological question, why are you stuck with me and the other elders? When life is so perplexing, so heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching, why can't you go to Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, and speak to him and see him and spend time to him face to face? Why can't you be with Jesus in person? These are not questions that only children should ask. Each of us should be thinking this. Why can't we see Jesus in the flesh? Wouldn't evangelism be so much easier if we could take people to meet Jesus and see him face to face and talk to him? And there's a staggering verse from Jesus Christ in John chapter 16, verse 7, which is reason for all of us to consider the ascension as much as possible until we actually come to the proper understanding of it. In John 16, verse 7, Jesus says this to his disciples. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Could that possibly be? Could it possibly be better that we don't get to see Jesus face to face at this moment in history? That you are stuck with a mere man as a pastor instead of Jesus in the flesh? That you have well-meaning, well-intentioned, gospel-oriented, theologically-minded church officers, but that you don't get to see Jesus in person? But Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away. So today, we have something of a daunting challenge before us, and that is simply to come to some ability to be able to say, even with Jesus, it's actually to our advantage that he is not here in the flesh. It's actually to our advantage that he has ascended up into heaven and that we cannot see him right now face to face. That's to our advantage and the right understanding of the ascension of Jesus Christ will help us to see how it is to our advantage that he has gone away. So we have uh, three points for this morning in which we consider the ascension. The first is paradoxical. We are near to Christ because of the ascension. We'll see this from scripture itself, that we are near to Christ because of the ascension. Second, we'll see that we are empowered by Christ as a result of the ascension. And then finally, we'll see that we are comforted by Christ through the ascension. We are near to Christ because of the ascension, we are empowered by Christ as a result of the ascension, and we are comforted by Christ through the ascension. So paradoxically, the first thing we come to is this idea that we are near to Christ through this ascension. It is remarkable to me that when you 
read the Gospel of Matthew, while the entire New Testament speaks about the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ in various ways, the Gospel of Matthew does not conclude with an ascension account. Instead, it concludes with Jesus Christ saying, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And we know from the other accounts that he then ascends up into heaven 40 days later. How is he with us when he has ascended into heaven? And I think the book of Acts actually teaches us this quite clearly. Uh, and I think it's very helpful to stop and, and realize that if Jesus Christ was in a specific place and time, if he was like the other kings and rulers and prime ministers and presidents and leaders, a, a flesh and blood person here on earth, he would have to be in a particular place at a particular time. He would have a location. He would be planted somewhere. And that's why when we think of our, the, the president of the United States, for, for, uh, for example, the White House comes to mind. We think of the place where he does his president work. When we think of a leader, we often associate it with the place from which he leads. It's fascinating that by ascending up into heaven, Jesus Christ ceased to be associated with a specific location here on earth and became enabled to be near to all of his people simultaneously, to be with all of his people at the same time. And I'm not just saying like some in some spiritual way he's there. I mean, Jesus Christ is really and truly with you. And we, we often say by the Holy Spirit, and that is absolutely true. But think about the martyrdom of Stephen. This happens a few chapters later in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7. You remember that uh, Stephen preaches the sermon and he is martyred for his faith, martyred for preaching the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to these concluding verses of the account of Stephen. This is Acts chapter 7. Listen to verses 54 through 60. Now when the people had heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at Stephen. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Do you see what happened there? If people are gnashing their teeth at you 
picking up stones and hurling them at you. I have this question for you. What would it take to get your mind off of those stones and onto something else? What would it take for you to stop thinking about stones being hurled at you for the specific intent of killing you, executing you? What would it take for you to think about something else? It would take something otherworldly. And that's what Stephen sees. What does he see? He sees Jesus. He says, sees heaven, the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. You see what I'm saying here? If, if Jesus was, you know, in Jerusalem or in the White House or at some other location in which he was ruling on earth, he couldn't appear to Stephen from heaven. But because he is near to his people, when they are in a time of need, when Stephen is on the verge of becoming a martyr of the church through execution, what happens? Jesus opens up the curtain and shows Stephen how very close he is. And it takes Stephen's mind off of his own impending execution to the extent that Stephen is actually thinking more about those who are persecuting him, those who are martyring them. His final words being, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Do you see that? If Christ hadn't ascended up into heaven, he wouldn't have been able to appear to Stephen in that way. And we read, of course, in this account that Saul was there holding the coats of those who were performing this execution. And that brings us to the conversion of Saul that we know. And once again, we see that Jesus Christ draws close to people in a supernatural way. We read of this in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 9 in Acts. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. Saul is ravaging the church. He is persecuting. He is throwing in prison, giving orders for execution the way Stephen was executed. We read in chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. We all know about the conversion of Saul, that he was struck down and that instead of going to persecute the church, he becomes a missionary of the church, a strengthener of the church. But look at how that came to pass. There was a man intent on destroying the church. And in an instant, 
He hears from Christ in heaven. And the whole course of history is changed forever. Have you ever thought of the influence that the Apostle Paul, through the Holy Spirit, exercises on this world still? The book of Romans, all of his missionary activity in Acts, setting up all of those churches, all of his other letters and epistles. Each generation of the Christian church understanding more clearly the grace of God in Jesus Christ because of what the Apostle Paul, as a converted Jew who used to persecute the church, had written. The entire course of history changed in an instant by the ascended Lord Jesus Christ who spoke in this saving way to the Apostle Paul. Courage to Stephen. Conversion to the Apostle Paul from Christ who says to you, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I will never leave you or forsake you. Behold, where two or three of you are gathered together in my name, there I am with you always. Do you see what that does for you? Do you see something of the advantage to having an ascended Lord? You don't have to go to the White House or Jerusalem to find him. He is near you now. If he determined to, he could show you the way he showed Stephen that he is right now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. I have no idea what that looks like. I don't even want to imagine it in some ways, but because you can't begin to imagine what it would be like. But he is near to you. All he would need to do is pull back this curtain of natural life around us and you would see how near to you he is and what does he do with this nearness he gives you courage and he comes savingly to unbelievers forever altering the course of history by converting one soul after the other taking rebellious blasphemous persecuting Paul and in an instant making him a Christian. Do you see how you can go to this God and say, I, I know I don't get to see you face to face. I look forward to seeing you face to face. Now I know that you are near. Encourage me. Give me that courage. Even the courage that you gave to Stephen as I go against whatever it is that life brings in my direction. Give me courage to endure knowing that you are there. And convert. Lord, I'm around unbelievers. I'm around unbelieving neighbors, unbelieving relatives, unbelieving coworkers, unbelieving bosses, unbelieving students, unbelieving professors. I am sent into this world and constantly around those who don't believe. And while I can speak of your grace and kindness, I am powerless to change a single heart. But you converted the Apostle Paul and you are converting still. 
convert from heaven and give me courage from heaven. So we are near to Christ because of the ascension. But we are also empowered by Christ as a result of the ascension. And we see this also in the book of Acts. And we'll see how that uh, the book of Acts teaches that in just a moment. But I want to read uh, the verse I already began quoting in John 16, verses 7 through 8. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Then he continues, for I do not go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now that's some really exciting stuff there. Because Jesus is saying, I'm not just going to leave you. I'm going to ascend up into heaven. But when I do, I'm going to send the helper down. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. There's going to be Pentecost. You're going to be empowered by God himself, the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity will come and indwell you and unite you together as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Not just Jerusalem, not just Judah, not just Israel, not just Palestine, but the world. And we can already start thinking about that, like, wow, that's exactly what has happened. It's not just little old Israel in the Middle East that knows about Jesus. It's a worldwide phenomenon at this point. Not every last person to have existed. But the church is present the worldwide. But for now, focus on what Jesus is saying. And how he has fulfilled this promise. It's to your advantage that I will go away. Because if I don't go away, the helper won't come. But if I ascend up into heaven, I'll uh, send the Holy Spirit down upon you. Now I want you to think about these disciples of Jesus Christ. And how they became his apostles. You know the story of Jesus Christ's betrayal and arrest. Judas, of course, betrayed Jesus, so we often focus on him. But the others really didn't do much better. Peter, of course, denied the Lord Jesus Christ multiple times and we fix our attention on him but Mark 14 verse 50 tells us that they all abandoned him what a thought Jesus Christ God of God light of light becomes man comes here has a public ministry works miracle after miracle preaches with authority has an inner circle of disciples consisting of 12 men who he spends a lot of time with. And they, at one point, some of them even see his glory as God and they are convinced that he is God and that he 
um, has come as the Messiah. But when it comes time for him to be arrested and put to death, all of them abandon him. They all cave. They don't have the courage to stand by the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, after his death and resurrection, just 40 days later, in a sense, you don't even recognize who you're reading about. Peter, who denied the Lord Jesus Christ, is all of a sudden the spokesman for Jesus Christ in public, even with those who would not accept the message and would persecute him. In Acts 4, verse 8, we read, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders. In Acts 4, verse 13, we read, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They spent that time with Jesus Peter especially denied Jesus. They all abandoned Jesus. But here they are without Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit and boldness. Then Acts 4, 19 through 20, we read, Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Do you see that revolution that's taken place in Peter's life? He went from saying, I don't know the man. I deny knowing him. To I can't help but to speak about him. I can't help but to testify about him. I can't help but to speak about what I've seen and heard because of the Holy Spirit because it is to your advantage that Jesus Christ went away and sent the helper. This is exactly what uh, Paul is talking about in Ephesians 4, verses 10 through 13. He says, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You have Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John saying, I'm going away, I'm going to ascend up into heaven, but it's to your advantage when I ascend up, I'll send the Holy Spirit down. You have the book of Acts saying, look at Peter. He went from denier of the Lord Jesus Christ to powerful preacher of that same Lord Jesus Christ, even though Jesus Christ was no longer with him. And then you have the Apostle Paul after that writing to the Ephesians and saying, this is exactly what happened. The one who was here on earth as the descended son of God ascended up into heaven and then sent apostles to begin the building of the church. And once again, this is just a tremendous encouragement to each one of us. You're not left alone. You have the Holy Spirit. Look at what the Holy Spirit did with Peter. A denier of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what he did with the other apostles who abandoned the Lord Jesus Christ and then became those who testified about him. 
What are your weaknesses? What are your sins? What are your flaws? Where have you crumbled? Where have you caved to weakness? Where have you been discouraged? This helper is for you. He can transform you. He's regularly transforming you in ways that you don't even know in secret ways. But he took the disciples who abandoned their Lord and Savior and turned them into witnesses of that same Lord and Savior. I think also as we consider this, we should pause just for a moment to consider we have a responsibility here. Jesus Christ has gone away up into heaven. He has sent his Holy Spirit here. We have 2,000 years of church history in which we can read about the fact that his Holy Spirit really and truly is convicting the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He is the head of the church. We are the body. We have a responsibility. I heard a pastor say this once and thought it was poignant and helpful. He said, if you want the street address for the Lord Jesus Christ, find the street address of your local church. You're the body of Christ. This address here is where people can see Christ, his body. He's the head, but he's in heaven. And as you consider that responsibility, especially if you're a new member today, you realize your great need for this helper, this helper who could so transform Peter that Peter went from a denier to a preacher of the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, we are comforted by Christ through the ascension. I think it's just a glorious thing that when you think about kings and rulers, you think about them ascending to a throne. And they're different from the Lord Jesus Christ because they don't ascend to the heavens They ascend to a literal throne in a real place, in in an earthly place, in an earthly dimension. Jesus Christ is exalted. He is the name above all names. He ascended not to an earthly throne, but he ascended up into heaven. We know of kings and lords and prime ministers, and rulers, and presidents, the elite, the powerful. We, we know who so many of these are. We come, become familiar with their names, kings and lords. But whoever they might be, whatever they might do, whatever they conspire and set themselves to, Whatever is going on in geopolitical spheres, 
and economic spheres and the spheres of society. Whatever challenges, however crooked and perverse the present generation is, under the leadership of kings and lords, you have the king of kings and the lord of lords, the almighty, sovereign Lord who is at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And he really is working out his will here on earth, even as it is in heaven. No matter how messy, no matter how twisted, no matter how convoluted it seems, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords will have his way. He's alive and at work. I have two things I want to call your attention to to really drive this home because I know how easy it is to become so distressed and so discouraged and so bogged down and so under the weight of how twisted and perverse this present generation can be. In the book of Corinthians, chapter 15, the Apostle Paul said something absolutely astonishing. I mean, the Apostle Paul is living and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And you think about these beleaguered churches that he's setting up in city after city and then writing to them and addressing all of the issues in them. And towards the end of 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your toil is not in vain. How could he say that? What a bold promise. What an audacious promise. What a staggering promise that Paul could write to that church in Corinth and to the church in each age. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Be always abounding in the work of the Lord. Know that your labor, no matter how small, is not in vain. It's not all for nothing. Know that. How could Paul have known that? Because Paul knew that Jesus Christ was ruling and reigning as King of kings and Lord of lords from the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And that that King of kings and Lord of lords was pleased to establish the work of flawed Peter and flawed Paul and continues to work through the very flawed, the very weak, but nonetheless real endeavors of today's saints of the Lord Jesus Christ. You, God's people. The other encouragement and comfort comes from the text that we read. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, before the ascension, we hear about the coming Holy Spirit after the ascension. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea 
and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. I have an assignment for you, a homework assignment for you. I suppose you could do it on a smartphone or tablet. Somehow or another, get a map of the world and open up to this verse 8 of Acts chapter 1. And on that map of the world, find Judea and Samaria, which will be so small, you won't be able to mark one without also marking the other. The area of Jerusalem. Mark that on a map with either a pen or a red marker. And then read to the end of this verse 8. You will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And take into account those remote parts of that map of the world and take into account how far they are from tiny Judea and Samaria. And recall that verse that Jesus said while he was still on earth that the Holy Spirit would convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And imagine these disciples, all of whom abandoned Jesus because they were so weak and afraid and had no courage. Imagine what it must have been like for them to hear Jesus say, or to hear that they were going to go be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the most remote parts of the world, how could this be when Jesus Christ is going away, when he's ascending up into heaven? But whatever map you look at testifies to the reality that this indeed was the case. For we stand at earth's remotest ends and worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords even though we don't see him face to face, for he has ascended to the right hand of God the Father, where he is convicting the world through his Holy Spirit of sin and righteousness and judgment. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed the last beatitudes of the Lord Jesus Christ. Chesterton says, when we really worship anything, we love not only its clearness, but its obscurity. We exult in its very invisibility. Father in heaven, help us to exult in your invisibility, to know your nearness, to be empowered by your spirit, and to be comforted by your ascension. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.